Well, I've really enjoyed our worship together this morning so far, and I hope that you have as well. As we get our thoughts started this morning, um, I was thinking about a movie that I saw several years ago called The Martian. And I don't know if you've seen this movie before, but at the beginning of it, Mark Watney and his team are on Mars. And they're on this mission on Mars, millions of miles away from Earth. And he gets stuck there. He gets stranded there. They think that he's dead. They think that he's died, and they leave him. Turns out he's not dead, and there's no one there to help him. He has no food. He has no water. He has no way to communicate with anybody back on Earth. And he's there for 81 days by himself with no communication, no food, no water, hardly. And he finds out that there's this device that might possibly allow him to communicate back to Earth. And so he goes on this 32-day journey just for the possibility to be able to talk with people on Earth. And when he finds this device, he has to lay out this, this weird series around this device just to be able to send back one sentence, one word, to Earth. And this one word takes 32 minutes to get to Earth and they can send a one-word phrase back to him, and it takes 32 minutes. So you can imagine how long one conversation would take to have. And it's times like this and situations like this that we take communication for granted. We realize how much we take it for granted. And in the same way, we take prayer for granted. The creator of the universe, God, is an immediate access to me. I can, I can talk to him right now and he can hear me. I don't have to go through all these things that this guy had to go through to talk, talk to God, but I have direct access to the creator of the universe through prayer. But a lot of times in life we get busy. Things happen, and, and I've said it, and I know you've said it, that I need to pray more. And I hope that as we talk this morning and as we go through the study, you'll have a desire to want to do that more. You'll realize and you'll commit your, your life and your mind to praying to God more and to talking to Him more. We're going to talk about, Lord, teach us to pray. This is a question that, that the disciples asked Jesus. And through this sermon, I hope that I'll create in you a desire to have this genuine and this sincere prayer with God. Luke 11, verse 1, he was praying, talking about Jesus, in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And you look back, and, and there's over 650 recorded prayers in the Bible. And these disciples, I'm sure that they had studied the old law. They had seen these prayers of David, of Hannah, of Samuel, and all these great prophets before them. And then they see Jesus praying. They said, we want to pray like that. Lord, teach us to pray like that. Lord, teach us to communicate with God like you do. We want to be able to do that. And Jesus goes through and he, said, he shows them the wrong way to pray and he shows them the right way to pray. And I think that we need to ask that same question this morning. Lord, can you please teach us to pray? Because there is a right way to do it. He starts out in verse 5. And he tells them what not to do first. He says, And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Basically, he says, this is between you and God. It's not between anybody else. It's not be between you and the people on the streets. 
you and your friends, it's between you and God alone. That's the first point that he makes to them. It's not a show. It's not something for you to be seen. And when you talk to God, don't do it hypocritically. Do it for the right reasons. Verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions. Another not, what not to do. Don't use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. And this vain repetitions means meaningless. These meaningless phrases uh, that they might have been saying and Sometimes we get so caught up in the semantics of prayer and the habits of prayer and things that our parents have said and probably their grandparents have said and phrases that we say might not mean things to us anymore and we just say them out of habit. And I think that was possibly what was going on here is they were just saying these meaningless things mainly to be seen of men then. We need to make sure that we're speaking in a genuine and sincere way when we're talking to God. And a lot of times we feel like we have to speak a certain way when we pray to God. This was a, a prayer from a movie uh, that we watched recently. And this guy sits down uh, to eat with her family. And he had never met these people before. And they ask him to pray. And you could tell that, that he really wasn't prepared for that. He says, oh, dear God, thank you. You are such a good God to us. A kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet Sweet Lord of hosts, for the smorgasbord you have so aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. Day by day, by day, O oh dear Lord, three things we pray. To love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, by day. Amen. And, and you can see that, that this is not a genuine prayer. This is something that he had heard growing up in it kind of looks like he's praying out of the King James Version Bible. And that's not how we talk. And we need to be careful that when we're praying to God, that we're speaking to him like we would speak to each other. That we're having a communication with, the, with God, uh, how we normally talk. And I've, as I've prayed, as I've, as I've gone through this study, I've really tried to check myself and make sure that I'm praying that way. And I encourage you that, that as you pray, that it, when you catch yourself praying prayers like this, stop yourself and talk how you normally talk and speak how you normally speak. So before we get into this model prayer, Jesus has said two things. Be, be by yourself. Be private about your prayer. This is between you and God and you and God alone. This isn't about anybody else that, that may be around. And the second thing is be genuine about your prayer. Don't use these meaningless repetitions. Speak how you normally speak. Don't use phrases that don't mean anything to you. And with that, he teaches the disciples this, this prayer that they can model their prayers after. He starts out and he says, in this manner. And I think it's important to note, he says, in this manner. In this manner doesn't mean pray this exact prayer. And, and I remember growing up um, before basketball and football games, we'd always say the Lord's Prayer. And, and I have it memorized. And when you look at the context of this, Jesus has said, don't do this meaninglessly. And I think that's exactly what happens in these situations where we're, we pray this over and over and over again. We're doing it hypocritically. We're not truly meaning what we're saying. And so Jesus says, don't pray this exact prayer, but in this manner, model your prayer after this. He says, in this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I think that there's a tremendous amount that we can learn from this prayer. There's a tremendous amount of uh, about being genuine and being sincere that I want to pull out of this as we go through this this morning. He starts out by saying our father and and this was something very different than the disciples had ever heard. They had read these prayers, these 650 prayers that had happened in the Old Testament, and they see God re- referenced as the creator, as God is referenced as the almighty, maybe even father, but not in this way. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And, Jesus, and, and Paul here writes to Roman, he says, You know the God that you read about in the Old Testament, in this old law? He wants you to call him Father. He wants you to call him Dad. And this is way different than anything they had ever heard. And, and he mentions adoption here. And you're thinking about kids that go through these really terrible home lives and maybe they're neglected, maybe they're abused and then they get pulled out of that and they're adopted and they're adopted into this family that loves them and, and parents that care for them and love them and they get to call their parent, their dad, dad and, and mean it in a loving way and that's what he compares us to. We've been, ad- been adopted by God and that allows us to refer to him as father or Abba Father or Dad. And you look at, look at that phrase, Abba Father, that's, that's a precious thing. That's like a, a father and son relationship or a father-daughter relationship where, where you can look at him and say, Dad, and mean it. And, and God doesn't want us just to look at, look at him as a machine. He's not just some wish granter up in the skies. He's someone that, that is right there, right there where we can talk to him, where we can express our emotions, express our feelings to him. And he wants us to look at him that way. This is a picture of my dad. Um, and back in sixth grade, he was actually my principal. And so you can imagine how that was. Um, but my classmates, as we would go through the hall, and my friends, as we would walk through the hall and we'd see him, you know what they called him? Dr. Richburg. They didn't get to call him dad, but as I walked through the halls and as I went to his office and as I went home, you know what I called him? I called him dad. It's because that's what he was to me. That's my father. And I'm his son. And, and that's the relationship that, that God has adopted us into. He wants us to be able to refer to him and, and treat him like that. Someone who can provide for us. And he wants us to, to be able to talk to him about, about what we need in this life. The next phrase there, so he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and names cause us to have certain feelings in this life. And, and when you think about names, um, think about the word Adolf, the name Adolf. There is rarely anybody, I've met one, rarely anybody named Adolf. And it's because there's a bad connotation to that name. We think about all the, the terrible things you read about that went on in World War II and, and all the people that were killed, and names bring up bad connotations like that one. And, and as you go, and as you've probably named your kids, and people bring up different names, you say, I, I could never name my kid because of what happened several years ago. 
I've got one of those, Landon. There's no way I could ever name my kid Landon. And back in first grade in Coleman Elementary in Coleman, Oklahoma, this first grade kid grabbed my pencil and snapped it in front of me. And ever since that, every time I hear the word Landon, that's what I think of. My point is names have connotation. They can be either good or bad. And Jesus in his prayer here is saying, God's connotation, or hallowed be your name, God's connotation is holy. The only thing you should think about when we pray to God, God's name is holy. And I remember hearing this as a kid, um, and you probably too. How, How many times today, in a normal sentence, have we used the word hallowed? Very little. Probably no one in here has used that. And that's because we don't use that word anymore. But hallowed means to make holy. And so when we pray for God in this this instance, hallowed be your name, what we're doing is saying, God, make your name holy. We're not acknowledging the fact that God's holy. When you look at the verbiage of that, it is hallowed be your name. God, make your name holy throughout the world. Make people see your holiness. And why would I pray for that? And I I think about... Um, objective truth and you you look at a hundred dollar bill and and when you hold a hundred dollar bill you objectively know its value there is nothing subjective about a about a hundred dollar bill a hundred dollar bill can buy you a hundred dollars worth of things it can buy you a hundred sonic drinks or whatever it is but it is objective there's nothing subjective about it in the same way God is objectively holy there's no question about it God is holy Nothing we say, nothing other people say can change his holiness because it's not subjective. It's objective. It's a matter of fact. And when we pray this prayer, God, make your name holy, it's wanting God, it's us wanting God to make other people see his holiness. And we should pray for that because you look in this life, people don't hallow his name. His name is not made holy. And we want that to be the case. We want people to be able to see God's holiness. So, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Was the first thing that that you prayed this morning when you got up for God's kingdom to come? It wasn't for me. And, And I think that's because we get comfortable in this life. We get our, our minds set on things that are going on, and, and we get comfortable. We like our lives. We've got nice houses, nice cars, nice families, but that never was the point. Our point and our mind should be on God's kingdom to come. And, and you think about a kingdom, and you think about the rulers or the, the dictators or the kings that, that rule over these kingdoms, they decide what is going to happen in that kingdom. And basically, when, when Jesus says, your kingdom come, what that means is Jesus saying, I want your will to be done here. I want the way you think, I want that to be impressed on this earth. And that should be our mindset too. I want your character, your will to shape this earth. I was reading a story um, about this Chinese lady. And this was four or five years ago. But she, was, she had a six-year-old daughter and she had just gotten pregnant. Her and her husband had just gotten pregnant uh, with the next, their next child. But the problem was in China five years ago, you can't have more than one child. And so the government was going to fine her this astronom- astronomical amount of money that she couldn't afford. And they, the government knew that. So one day, the government comes to her house, puts a pillowcase over her head, 
and kidnaps her. And they take her to this facility and keep her there for three days, holding her for ransom until her husband can pay for that baby. And he couldn't. There was no money that he had. And what, what they ended up doing, they injected her with some medicine, caused her to go into premature labor, and abort that baby. And this happened 27,000 times a day in China. Jesus says, thy kingdom come. And that's because this earth never was made to be perfect. This earth wasn't meant to be that way. And Jesus is praying, God, we want that to stop. We want all this evil, everything that's going on, aborted babies, things like that. We want it to stop. And we need to, whenever we pray, that needs to be on our mindset. The kingdom should be on our mindset, on our minds. Acts 28, verse 23, talking about Paul. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. You know, if you went over to Paul's house, what he was going to be talking about? The kingdom of God. Morning until night, every day, this is what Paul was concerned about, the kingdom of God, the spread of the kingdom of God. And I want you to, to think about your mind, to think about your life and the prayers that you pray and the life that you live. Are you testifying about the kingdom of God? Are you spreading the kingdom of God from morning until night? And I think a lot of times the answer to that is probably no, because I know it's that way in my life too. We get caught up on th in things. So we need to make sure that we're always concerned about the kingdom of God, that we're praying for it to be spread and for Jesus to come back. This earth was never meant to be a perfect place. We're gonna, one day Jesus is going to come and he's going to remo remove all the evil that goes on in this world. Give us this day our daily bread. So we just prayed for the kingdom to come and now we're praying for some food. Lord, we're, we're busy spreading your kingdom and now we want some food to eat. And I, I've never truly been hungry. I mean, I've gone a, a couple meals without food, mainly by choice, and, and probably for you too. You've never truly been hungry. But do you really think about what that means? Give us this day our daily bread. We've been, Jordan and I have been watching a, a TV show called Alone. And these guys and, and women go out into the wilderness, and sometimes they're there for 80 to 100 days. And they have to live off the land. They have to get their own food. They have to get their own water. And a lot of times, they may go two weeks only eating 1,000 calories. They may go two weeks only eating a mouse. And they're hungry. They're starving. And you see their, their bodies get emaciated. And, and you can tell that they're starving themselves to death. And really about day 40, day 50, they start to pray. Because before, they'd never been without. They'd never been hungry like that. They'd always been reliant on themselves. And now... I've got no one to rely on but God, the one who can provide. And I think that when you're in situations like this, that's what causes you to rely on God. And we need to be able to see that in our lives. And we'll go through a, a couple points about that. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the Lord, uh, the name of my God. What he's saying here is, give me just what I need. Don't give me any more, because if you give me more than what's needful for me, then I might deny you. I might say that there's no need for God. 
but don't give me so little, don't give me so small amount of food that I might have to steal and profane the name of the Lord, the Lord my God. Give me just what I need. And I think this next, this next verse explains it a little bit more practically. It says, Beware that you not, do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I have commanded you today, lest when you have eaten and are full. Every one of us in here has eaten and been full in the past. And have built beautiful houses. We all have beautiful houses. We've all got a place to live in. When you look at the rest of the world, we've all got beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and gold are multiplied, we've all got money. Everyone in here is comfortable. When you look at the rest of the world, we're all comfortable. And all that you have is multiplied. God fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Then you might say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. The reason that, that he doesn't want us to be in these situations where we have all the money we need, all the house that we need, all the food that we need, is because we might think that we did it on our own. And we didn't. God provided that for us. And when we pray, we need to realize that, that God provided that. Our perspective gets distorted a lot of times, and we think that I gained that. I did that. Because of me, I did that. To illustrate that, think about the 1978 version of Superman with Christopher Reeve. And Christopher Reeve, or Superman, picks up Lois Lane, and they start to fly around New York City. And and at the start of their flight, she is scared to death. She's holding on really tight. She's scared she won't look down. But eventually, she starts to get a little bit more comfortable. And so she starts, and, and she reaches one arm out. She's still holding real tight with the other. And she finally looks down, and she starts to get more comfortable. Eventually, she opens up her other arm, and she starts to fly with him, still holding on. And she gets really comfortable, and she lets go. And all of a sudden, she plummets to the ground. She was struck by a moment of insanity. She, she thought we were flying up there. No, Superman was flying and you were along for the ride. Superman's power what was what was what doing that, not Lois Lane's. And in our same mindset, we think that we're responsible for our wealth. We think we're responsible for our food. We think we're responsible for everything in our lives. And that's not the case. God provides for us. God makes us comfortable. So basically what we're saying when we say give us this day our daily bread, God, just give us our basic needs. Don't give me too much because I might profane the name of, of God. Don't give me too little. I might steal. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and this one was, was kind of difficult for me to, to wrap my mind around. So for, for that, I went and I started to look at the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. And this master comes and, and he decides one day, I'm going to start collecting all my debts. I've got a lot of money out there and I want to collect all my money that I have out. And so he finds this one servant um, who owes him a massive amount of money. More money than was three times in the region of that time. It was an impossible debt for him to pay off. Unsurmountable. And, and he, this master cast him into prison. He says, cast him into prison. Him and his family, everyone that is in his family needs to go to prison until he can pay that off. And it was impossible. 
And this servant begs for forgiveness. And this master forgives him. This unsurmountable debt that we can't even fathom, this master forgives. You don't even have to to work to pay it off anymore. You're completely forgiven. And then that same servant, Matthew 18, 28, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, or about a hundred days' work, and he laid hands on him, took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. And, and I, I really like the visualization there of, of him putting his hands around this guy's throat, because that's what we do. When we don't forgive, we have our hands wrapped around our friends, our neighbors, our fellow servants' throats. And we need to be able to, to see that and see the hypocrisy in that. I did some research, and at this time, this servant owed three times the amount of money in that specific area. And when you think about that, that is a massive amount of money. And this is the amount of money that's in the American economy right now, $1.95 quadrillion. And when you put it into terms like that, there's no way, if I owed that amount of money, there's no way, I mean, there's no possible way for me to ever repay that. And that's what this this master was essentially saying, you owe me that amount of money. And in perspective, he was owed $8,000. That'd be like us owing 1.95 quadrillion and someone owing us $8,000 and demanding them pay it to us. And that's what we do. God, we owe God massive amount. And when our fellow servant hurts us, they owe us very little. But we hold on to that. We hold on to that grudge. And we have our, throat, our hands wrapped around their throats over this small amount. And we need, to be, we need to put this into perspective. And we need to pray for a heart that will forgive. And we need to be able to see ourselves as this unforgiving servant. Because we do that a lot in this life. So do not lead us into temptation. We just prayed for forgiveness and so please don't let us go back into that, that sin again. And one of the main points of, of praying is that we can be ready, we can be prepared for whenever we're tempted. And I, and I think that's the point of this right here. Luke 21, 36, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and stand before the Son of Man. This is when you pray and you watch. Stay awake. Be wide-eyed. Be open-eyed is what that means. Be ready. Be alert. This prepares you for trials. And Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He said this right before he was about to go to the cross, when he was in the garden. He says this to the disciples, watch and pray. They knew, or he knew what was about to go on. He knew that he was going to be captured. He knew the very moment he was going to be captured. And he tells his disciples, watch for me. Pray right now. And what they do? They fell asleep. Jesus watched and prayed, and guess what? He went through with it. He went to the cross ready. He was prepared for those trials. And in our lives, we need to be watching and praying so that when trials come our way, we won't be tempted and, and fall. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. 
We need to always make sure that as we pray, that we're begging God to help us be prepared, help us, or help us to be ready in these situations. And, and you've probably in your life said, I need to pray more. And I hope that you will. I hope that, that this sermon will spur you to pray more. The people that pray the most generally have the best outcomes in the Bible. And I saved this point for last. Matthew 6, verse 6, going back uh, but at the beginning when Jesus was giving them the what not, to's, what not to do, he says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I wanted this to be the last thing we talk about because I think this is when you can really dedicate your life to praying. You can make habits of prayer. And we don't make prayer a priority, and I think that's a problem. You go and look at Daniel. I think Daniel's a good example of this. Daniel 6, verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. His custom, Daniel's custom, was to pray. And I want to ask you, is your custom to pray? Is your habit to pray? Do you have a habit of praying every day? Or do you just do it when it's convenient, when you think about it? We need to make sure that we are always making time for God. When you look at Daniel, Ten verses later, he gets thrown into the den of lions. You think Daniel was prepared? Daniel was watching. Daniel was praying. Daniel was ready because of his prayer to God, his communication to God. Daniel didn't panic. Daniel didn't freak out. Daniel didn't curse God. He calmly went into that den of lions. And when we go into trials and we're ready, that's what we'll do. We'll calmly face those and come out on the end. One thing that I thought was a good idea is having a prayer journal. And a prayer journal to, to write down prayers that, that we need to be praying, but also a prayer journal to keep up with answered prayer. Because a lot of times we, we, we ask God for so many things, but we don't thank him for the answered prayers, and we don't acknowledge the answered prayers. In the Old and New Testament, there's over 450 examples of answered prayers. And a lot of times when we get down, when we get discouraged, if we have a book of answered prayers where we see this is what God did, God did all of these things, and he'll take me through this too. I think that will really help us out in, in not getting discouraged. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in everything. Pray without ceasing. And I, I look at the example of David. And, and David, he did a lot of messed up things. But regardless in all those messed up things, David communicated with God. David prayed to God. He always talked with God regardless of what was going on, regardless of his emotions. And this is just an example. Psalms 142, I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice to the Lord, I make supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on my right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of, my, of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. 
Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise your name. The righteous shall sur surround me, for you shall deal bountifully with me. You can see the emotion. You can see the heartache. You can see the, the scare that David's going through here. He's surrounded, and he's praying to God. He's communicating, communicating to God. He's showing that emotion to God, and God got him through it. And you see, throughout the Bible, you see when David was victorious, he prayed to God. When he was defeated, he prayed to God. When he was about to be captured, he prayed to God. Or when he was free, he prayed to God. Regardless of the circumstance, we need to be praying to God in good times and in bad times. Regardless of our emotions, we need to be praying to God. So how do you see God? Do you see someone, like we talked earlier, that, that's just a wish granter up in the sky? Or do you see him as your father, as your dad, someone who wants to provide for you, someone who wants to have this communication with you? You think back to the, the Martian, the example I gave earlier, he survived. You know why he survived? It's because he communicated. He was able to talk back to Earth, and they were able to get him home. They were able to, to, to bring him back. And if we don't communicate with God, there's no way we're making it to heaven. There's no way we're going to live this life and make it to heaven. We need to have that same mindset of communication. Our last verse, Galatians 4, verse 3. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if, an heir, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We cry out, Abba, Father. Why? Because we're adopted. We're His. We belong to Him. We're His children. We were all lost, and He came to clean us. We were all, or he, we were all lost. He came to, to find us. We were all dirty. He came to set us free from our filthiness. We were all slaves. He came and unbound us. And in this verse, we were a slave. We used to serve this, this sin. We were a servant to it. We were bound to it. But through his adoption, he set us free. And we can call him dad because of that. We can call him father because of that. We can cast our cares on him because of this adoption. And God wants you to be adopted if you're not adopted. He wants you to be a child of his. This morning, I hope that you'll make time. I hope that you'll make time to pray. I hope you'll desire to talk to your father the person who, can, who you can communicate with, and you can be comforted in knowing that he's going to help you with that. I hope that you'll be genuine and sincere with your prayer. I hope that you'll take out all those, those meaningless repetitions that we sometimes say. I hope that you'll be genuine. Call him Dad. Make his name holy. Pray for him to make his name holy. Pray for his kingdom to come. I hope that you'll do that. I hope that you'll talk to him. He's wanting you to talk to him. He's begging you to talk to him. He wants to be there for you. He wants to talk to you. If you're not an adopted son, you can't communicate to God. And I hope that if you're, that if you're not one of his children, this morning I hope that you'll make that decision. I hope that you'll choose to become an adopted child of his so that you can communicate and you can have that blessing with him. And maybe you haven't been communicating with him like you're supposed to. I know that, that in the past that, that's definitely been my, been my case. And I hope that, that this morning you'll commit whatever you have to do 
I hope that you'll commit to talking to him more. We're going to offer an invitation at this time, and if the church can help you with either of those things, why don't you come while we stand and sing?